This week is Love Rev Week. Who went to a conversation yesterday? I don't know about you, but the ones that I went to were awesome. This week is still going. Um, we have an awesome event tonight. Uh, Yabi, could I see that screen real quick? It's a panel called uh, How Did We Get Here? It's an interactive panel unpacking the virtues and vices that came along for the ride, discussing where have we come from? What does our neighborhood look like? How has it formed us? Uh, that starts at 7 o'clock and will go to about 8.30 tonight. I would love to see you all there. It's in the commons. And there are free Poppy's Donuts, so you don't want to miss out on that. Yabi? All right, and for today's chapel, we would hear God's reconciling power through Christ. Andrew Collins and Jamil McGee have taken God's story of grace in their lives all over the world. Churches, colleges, social justice conferences, and high schools and more. Together with Mark Tab, they wrote an award-winning book in 2017. Instead of sharing too much, too much of their story, let's just step back and see the first day that they met. February 8, 2006 was a day that forever changed my life. February 8, 2006 was really just another day for me. All I wanted to do was go to the store and get some milk for my son. All I wanted on that day was to get another conviction. So I caught a ride for some guys that I knew that probably would be up to no good. I caught a guy with some crack. He said he knew a guy with some more crack, so he made a phone call. So upon arriving to the store, I get this guy my phone and I go inside the store. So I get to the store and I see the vehicle just like I'm told. And there's one guy in the vehicle and then one guy coming out of the store. And I wasn't sure if he had something to do with it, but I was going to make sure he had something to do with it. So I'm coming out of the store and this guy's approaching me talking about he's a cop and where's the dope. I'm like, what dope? I don't have any dope. What dope? It's not my dope. How many times have I heard that before as a narcotics officer? So I go, um, excuse me, I messed that up, but I get to this, um, I come out of the store, he approached me, um, talking about he's a cop, and then the next scene is, um, you lost me on that one, bro. <laughs> so I had him lock him up. Yeah, that was it. And how is this possible? How could I be going to jail for some drugs that isn't mine? Trial? He's going to take it to trial? The way that I wrote that report? And this is a waste of all of our time. Well, I wasn't about to plead guilty to doing something that I know I didn't do. So I told my story and I got my conviction. And Jamel McGee was sentenced to 10 years in federal prison. So sometimes this is a, a hard story uh, to, to continually tell about the awful person I used to be. And I'm hoping that by the end of this today, you'll understand that because of Christ's love, we're able to stand here on the stage together. So I was wondering, like, I get a little nervous doing this a lot. I was wondering if I could just get an air hug from my Christian brothers and sisters just to make me feel a little bit more. Thank you so much. Now, now it just feels like family telling stories, right? And, and Jamel didn't wake up one day saying, man, I would love to be a public speaker. Like, this can be a little bit nerve-wracking for an introvert like my brother. So could we all give him a hug too? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Every time you get claps and you get screams and you get more hugs than I do, but I get it. 
One more thing. I want on the count of three, everybody's going to say the word gaps. One, two, three. Gaps. Gaps. We have 22 minutes to tell you a story that spanned over a decade. So there's going to be some gaps in this story. But we are excited to tell you what Christ has done in our lives. So, Jamel, let's jump right in. What was it like sitting in jail, sitting in prison, knowing that you got 10 years over your life and you are innocent? Well, <laughs> that was a very rough time for me. Um, I became a very different person. I was unapproachable. You couldn't talk to me. I definitely wouldn't talk to you. It didn't matter who you were. Um, I felt like I had lost everything. I had a son that was just born and didn't even get to meet him because of this incident. And in that, I grew up in violence in my home as well. So I began to act out that violence on other people while I was sitting in prison. Um, but I was envisioning Andrew while I was hurting other people. And you would hear me throughout many uh, social media sites say, hurt people, hurt people. And if you're definitely, if you've been hurt and you haven't dealt with it, you're definitely hurting other people. Um, but I sat in prison and I began to act out like really bad on other people. And then I realized like, man, hey, I got a son. You know, and I want to be in my son's life one day. I got 10 years to get this right. Um, and I wanted to be a father to him. I didn't want him to value my lifestyle as it was and create it into his own lifestyle. Yeah, Jamel have been to many other places besides the federal penitentiary. Um, foster homes, groups, boys' homes, um, jails, prison, um, whatever you can name, I've probably been there. And I've learned <laughs> through these extensive situations that I was a bad decision maker. I made bad decisions. And my bad decisions making led me to the places where I was at, including this penitentiary uh, that I was sitting in. At first I used to blame everybody else for the things that was happening to me. It was somebody else's fault, or if, it, if they wouldn't do this, if they didn't do that, I wouldn't be in this situation. Then I had to learn that, no, it was my choice. It was my choices that led me there. So I'm sitting here roughly um, three years into my sentence, and I said I wasn't going to lean on God. I gave my life over to Christ at age 18, but I did that for my mom, just so she would get off my back. <laughs> Yeah, y'all know how that is. <laughs> so, but I realized at age 21 that I needed my own relationship with Christ. I couldn't use my mom. I needed my own personal relationship. So I did it all again at age 21, but neither at 18 or 21, I let God be the head of my life because it was always Jamel's way. I led the way. So sitting in here, it's Bible sitting on my table, and I said I wasn't going to read it. But this day I just said, you know what, I'm going to read the Bible. So I opened the Bible and I started in the first five verses of Genesis. And my mind just quickly went blank. And that's when God stepped in and was just like, let it go. And this became repetitive in my head. And I used to get headaches trying to block this thought out. And it shouldn't have been in my head because Frozen definitely was not out then. <laughs> you know? So let it go should have not have been in my head. <laughs> 
So uh, I'm sitting here, and that same day I go to the yard, and I begin to reflect on my life as a whole from the very first time I can remember to that present day. And I learned that day that they were all my decisions. I had a choice. Even that day before I got in that car with my cousin's friends, I had a choice to just simply walk to the store. But I didn't. I chose to get in that car knowing what they into. It was my choice. And my choice ended up bad. So um, I realized that, you know what, and I said, you know what, God, my way hasn't worked all these years. So you know what, I'm tired. It's, my way is done. It's your way from here on out. I'm done. I give up. So um, I went back to my cell, and I prayed that I can wake up in prison for my next seven years as if I was at home. So I made that prayer, and um, my first thing to do was just actually just speak to somebody, just actually talk to somebody. And so I came on my cell the next day, and I was like, hey, how you doing? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they thought I was crazy, too. <laughs> but I didn't care, though, because it was doing something for me. This was something that I didn't do, and it was helping me. It was helping me break down walls that I thought that were impenetrable. So I'm sitting in there, and um, I go to work. I worked at landscaping in the prison as well, so I cut grass all day. So um, I went to work. And when I got to work at 8 o'clock, they were calling me from the time I got there, you know, all the way until I got off of work. And I was like, man, if they want me, they're going to come and get me. I'm in this fence. They know where I'm at. I ain't going nowhere. I got 10 years. So <laughs> they definitely know where I'm at. And, but they wouldn't come get me, and this never happens. So I'm like, man, why? Okay, I'm out. So when I get off work, I get back to my cell, and the guy was like, hey, man, they've been calling you all day. You should probably go see what they want. And I'm like, oh boy. Now I'm thinking all the stuff I've done previously then caught up. You know, so my first instinct was like, okay, I'm gonna go to the hole. No more daylight. And I get to the counselor's office, and the first thing he says to me, where would you go if you was released today, tomorrow, or six months from now? And I was like, probably to my grandma's house. And he was like, well, I need an address. So I gave him the address, and he was like, you got 15 minutes to leave. I was like, huh, I didn't even have to come in your office. And he was like, no. And he, the fax machine beeped in the paper. He grabbed the paper and handed it directly to me. And I read the paper, and it was a letter from the judge saying my conviction was overturned, and I had to leave the premises immediately. So in that moment, I came out. I stepped out um, his office, and I stopped because I knew this was not my doing. I knew I had no control over this. Only thing I did was gave up my hurt, my pain, my frustration, the things that I didn't understand. I gave it to God that day on the track, and God gave me an exit that day and a receipt of love. Isn't that good? Man. That'll preach. That'll preach. That's like, you know, seven years left, I'm trapped, I can't get out. And then God's like, no, I got freedom for you today. So I, I hope that's a word for someone today that, that you feel like you've been stuck in a spot. And God's like, I got freedom for you right now. 
So uh, there was some stuff going on in my life around that time too. So we had met in 2006. In 2008, I got caught with crack, heroin, and marijuana in my office. Uh, I, I don't know if we have law uh, majors here, but that is frowned upon in Michigan. Um, <laughs> come to find out, you can't hoard dope in your room. So uh, that was the end of my career. I tell people I went on a three-day journey. Caught on a Tuesday, thought about killing myself on Wednesday. I said, there's no way I can pick myself out of this. There is no way at all that I can pick up the pieces of, of what I just shattered in our life. My daughter's running around, two years old, has no clue what daddy just did to the family. My wife is looking at me like, what are you talking about? Yesterday you were the top cop in the county. Today you're talking about maybe an indictment? I said, there's no way out. So as I was contemplating ending my life, my wife came home from work and she saw the desperation. She saw I was dealing with some stuff mentally. And she said, you need to go talk to that pastor. You see, I had been dabbling with church as an adult. I like to date Jesus, but I wasn't putting a ring on it. Like, I, I, I like the thought of Jesus. But he wanted too much of my life, and I wasn't down with that. So I would have identified as a Christian. I gave my life to the Lord at seven years old in the back of our church. On a Wednesday night, me and my uncle were running around, and, and he told me the story about Jesus who died for my sins, and I was like, I want that. But lordship of my life? Uh-uh. That's, that's Andrew's job. So when I got older, when my daughter was born, I wanted her to grow up in the church too. So I started visiting this church. I'm two years into my, my or three years into my police work, and, and the pastor speaking from the stage, used to be a police officer. So I feel like, man, this dude, I like him. Plus, he made the gospel come alive. Every time he talked, it was like a pop-out book with the gospel. And I had never heard somebody so passionate about the gospel before. But every time I went, he was talking about something I did wrong. He'd give a whole 35-minute message, and then three minutes he'd spend about stealing. And I'm like, shoot, that's what I'm doing. And like, this dude was being very specific. So I'd stay away, and then I'd come back, and this time I'm sitting in the back, so he don't know I'm there, so he can't talk about my wrongdoings. And by the end of the message, he's talking about something I did wrong. So I had been kind of doing that back and forth with the church and the world for quite a while. So my wife said, you need to go talk to that pastor. So I called him up and I said, I, I got to come talk to you, pastor. He said, yeah, you do. I've been watching the news. I said, oh, you're a part-time comedian. <laughs> okay. So that's day three. I sit down with this pastor and I spilled my guts to him. That little confession time we just did, it felt a little awkward, right? But man, there is something so powerful when we confess our sins to one another. It is not mandated to get to heaven, but God brings healing through, through confession one to another. And I felt that everything that I confessed, there was like a little bit of the burden was being lifted. A little bit of hope was coming back. And he listened very patiently. And at the end, he said, oh, boy, you're in trouble. <laughs> and I remember thinking, eh, Pastor, you're a terrible counselor. Like, <laughs> you did not have to tell me I'm in trouble. I know I'm in trouble. What do I do? And he said, where are you at with Jesus? And I was blindsided. I forgot I was in a pastor's office. I was like, dang, this dude was going to bring it back to Jesus, wasn't he? And I just hung my head and I started crying. I said, I don't, I don't deserve Jesus. You've heard the things I've done. And this dude didn't even skip a beat. He said, no, you don't deserve Jesus, neither do I. Grace, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. You didn't earn it, you don't deserve it, neither do I. And there was something about this pastor who was saying he didn't deserve Jesus' love as much as I didn't deserve Jesus' love that broke something free within me. And he said, Andrew, Jesus has been your Savior, but he's never been your Lord. Do you want that? I said, absolutely. This is my Lordship, 25 years old, sitting in your office talking about suicide. He said, let's pray. I said, will you pray for me? Because I don't think God wants to hear from me. He said, I'll pray for you. And he prayed and I cried. And he prayed and I wept. And he prayed and I slobbered. 
he said amen and I said amen and, and, and I knew there was still some stuff I needed to walk through, but I felt hope again. I apologized about the snot on his floor. I looked for my contact that I lost. And I said, what now, pastor? There's this fire within me. What now? I'm a man. There's like a checklist, right? Like how do I become a good Christian tomorrow? He's like, get to know the Lord. I said, how? He said, read the Bible. And I was like, ah, oh, man. I said, Pastor, I don't know if you've ever cracked that book, but it's boring, man. <laughs> and he was like, Andrew, God did something in you today, man. He gave me an NIV, I think is what the, the translation was. And he said, go home and start reading the book of John. And every page that I flipped, it was like these little bombs going off in my soul of watching Jesus deal with jacked up people just like me. And the love and the care and the compassion he had for them. Now that was February 08. Fast forward to December 1st, 2008. My life changed again. I got indicted by the FBI. Possession of crack with intent to deliver. Over five grams under 50. You'll never forget that day for two reasons. I won't at least. One, my daughter was born on December 1st. So it was Kaya's third birthday. The day I get indicted by the FBI. Second reason I won't forget that date is because you don't forget the day you walk into a courtroom and they talk about the United States of America versus Andrew Collins. You know what I'm talking about. Totally. Yeah, like it's a whole country? <laughs> it takes a whole country to tie. I ain't no kingpin. Come on now. Fast forward a month and a half, January 2009. I plead guilty because I was guilty. Now that's the last week of January 2009. I plead guilty. First week of February 2009. Is the day Jamel gets out. It's like tag team. I'm in, you're out. Switch. <laughs> it didn't really happen like that. We didn't see each other. I don't think Jamel was ready for that yet. Fast forward another 18 months. Whoa, pause button. 18 months. I did 18 months and he did three years. I was guilty. He wasn't. He got 10 years. I got three years, which I did 18 months on. Come on, guys. Do the math. There's a problem with our system right now. We're throwing away people. And you might be thinking, yeah, but how many times had Jamel got caught with dope? And maybe that's why he got 10 years. Never. Zero. This man's first drug crime ever, and the only evidence there was was my word, got him a decade. And he was told at one point by his judge, if you plead guilty, you'll only do five years. But because he used his constitutional right to try to prove his innocence, even though the burden is supposed to be to prove his guilt... He was left trying to prove his innocence because he fought for that right. He got 10 years. There's something wrong with our justice system. There's some reforms happening. Things are turning around. But there is a problem with our justice system. So check it out. I'm not going to I'm, I'm step off that soapbox and back into the story. Uh, so fast forward another 18 months. I get out of prison. And I'm on fire for Christ. I'm like, I just did 18 months of prison ministry. It's time to go back to Benton Harbor and like, like just bring reconciliation. And my pastor's like, chill, bro. Like, <laughs> they probably don't want to see you there. And then a year later, 2011, the church is doing this thing called H3, Hoops, Hip Hop, and Hot Dogs. Three of the best H's Jesus ever, ever made. <laughs> and it's in Broadway Park in Benton Harbor, south side of Benton Harbor. In, in this, this park, I've pulled dead bodies out of before after shootings. I've chased drug dealers through this before. And on this day, there's kids getting their faces painted. There's hip hop music happening. There's a basketball tournament. And there's so much joy in this park, hundreds of people. And as I'm standing there, I see this man coming at me. He wasn't coming towards me. He wasn't running, but he wasn't walking. And I'm like, oh, what's that dude's name? I arrested him. What was his name? What was his name? And he sticks out his hand. 
I'm like, oh, reconciliation. This is what I'm here for, right? And he said, you remember me? And I said, Jamel McGee. As soon as we touched, I was like, Jamel McGee. And he squeezed me extremely tight <laughs> to the point where I thought he was going to break my hand. Like, this dude has big hands. You, you can see this. He shakes forearms. He does not shake hands. <laughs> like, I was not going anywhere. And he said, I want you to tell my son why he missed out on years of his daddy's life. And Jacarius was standing there with him. And I said, man, there's nothing I can do to give you that time back. I was an awful human being. I am so sorry for what I did to you. I was addicted to myself and my ego. Jamel, I'm so sorry. And he didn't say anything. He just kept gripping me. And I was like, all right, neither of us are moving. I'm going to tell him about Jesus. I was like, look, I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. You're looking at a dead man. Or you're mad at a dead man. He died in 2008. I stand before you new. And I'm sorry. I thought that was pretty good, but Jamel, he didn't say anything. He just kept gripping me, and I saw the little muscle in his jaw clenching. <laughs> I said, I connect with him as a dad. I said, and about your son, being away from your son, I was away from my daughter for 18 months, so I get what that's like. That was so stupid. <laughs> Every bridge I just built to him with my apology, I ripped right back away. I held a big sign in front of Jamel and said, all lives matter, Jamel. You've got hurt, I've got hurt, I got over mine, you should get over yours. That's what I did in that moment. And Jamel spoke then. Jamel, <laughs> Jamel said some stuff to me. <laughs> said some things. Uh, Jamel, what was that day like for you? I call that day the test. You will be tested um, in this walk. Um, yeah, I had just got to meet my son that very day. Um, so God has his ways of showing you that he's there. Um, so I just got to meet him that day. And he saw, he saw all the people at the park. And, you know, that's not my thing. I would have never went over there. But he wanted to go. And I'm like, oh, man, no. But <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, uh, yeah, I want to go over there. And I'm like, I don't want to disappoint him since this is our first day meeting. I'm like, well, I don't want to disappoint him. So, yeah, go ahead. And I just thought I would just stay on the sidewalk and watch everything from there. And he took off. And. Um, I was looking at the pavilion, and I kept walking, and I just couldn't turn away. And then I thought I saw Andrew, and I was like, no, that can't be him. I know he ain't that crazy to be in this park. Like, no. And he turned around, and I was like, yeah, that's him. Let's go get him right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so I beelined straight to him, and uh, I stuck out my hand. I was like, hey, you remember me? And as soon as he grabbed my hand and said my name, I locked down on him. And in that moment... Me, myself, was saying, hit him. Hit him. But just like I told you guys, God had met me in prison. He had also was standing right here in this park. And he simply just said, what are we doing here? We let this go back at the prison. What are you doing? I can do this way better than you. I was like, wow, okay. But self is still saying, Hit him. You're taking too long. Hit him. <laughs> and um, I'm standing there, and I'm just contemplating what I would do. If I show hands real fast, how many people would have hit him? Y'all are either heathens or liars. <laughs> There'd be a lot more than that. But let me, let me explain to you why I didn't. Because... At that moment, I would have been showing my son firsthand how to go about things the wrong way. And I didn't want him to value my life. In this life, 
we think so much of the person that have harmed us or um, have done us wrong. But how many times have you knocked down your blessing because God has sent that same person that harmed you or wronged you, he put them right, be right back before you. Sometimes he does that because that person has the tools you need to carry on through the rest of your life. We have to step into those uncomfortable spaces to figure out what God has in store for us. If I had not stepped into that uncomfortable space with Andrew, I have, I have no doubt in my mind I wouldn't be standing before you today. So we have to get to that point and let God work out our frustrations. Let him work out our injustice. He'll do it if we let him. But it's some things that we have to let go of first. Think about it. So, yeah, so he lets me go. He walks away. He says some curse words to me. I've forgiven him. It's all good. You don't have to worry about that. And uh, four years later, I'm working at Cafe Mosaic, part of the Mosaic CCDA, Christian Community Development Association. It's all about bringing jobs to Benton Harbor citizens who may struggle to get jobs. Now, I got to manage the cafe. It was awesome. I was so hopped up on caffeine all the time. And I got to work with Benton Harbor citizens. And then one of the things we had was called Jobs for Life. And, and people would come through Jobs for Life. They'd take a six-week course. And upon graduation, they would get a job and a mentor. And, and the person who was running Jobs for Life came down one day and she's like, hey, there's this dude in my class that I just feel like God has burdened me that you need to mentor him. Uh, his name is Zuki. Do you know Zuki? And I said, you know, I've, I've heard that street name, but I don't think I know him personally. I'll introduce you to Zuki. This is... Uh, that's what his grandma started calling him when he was just a little thing. So uh, I said, you got to ask him. This is a small town. You know the things I've done in this city. you got to ask him if it's okay with him. So she has this conversation with Jamel. She said, hey, Jamel, we finally got your mentor. God's laid it on my heart for you two guys to be mentor mentee. And we understand that he's done some things in the city of Ben Harbor. And I was like, when she said that, I was like, wait a minute, Miss P. Who is it already? She was like, Andrew Collins, no way. Who in the world? Who told y'all even to, where y'all find him? And because um, this whole time I hadn't seen him. And I was like, you know what? Miss P, I, I realized one thing, though, before I called Miss P back, I realized that that was my decision. And I told you guys earlier how my decision ended up. My decision making was horrible. And I said no from the gate, not realizing or understanding any of it. So I asked Miss P, could I pray about it? And I prayed and I opened my eyes and my book was on the table and it was a mountain written in words and it was two figures on the side of the mountain and one was pulling the other one up. And I was like, okay, God, I got you. Miss P, I'm going to accept him as my mentor. And she was like, okay, great, he's ready right now. I was like, Miss P, I'm going to need a little bit more time than right now. <laughs> and then I waited a little while, then I come across the street to meet Andrew. So it was about an hour and a half after I had had that discussion with her. He comes over. I said, hey, man, have a seat. Look, I used to be a police officer. I used to do some awful things. If I've ever harmed you or your family. And he's smiling at me. And I'm like, what is this dude smiling? I'm trying to be serious. So finally I was like, what is so funny? And he said, we already had this talk. I said, we did. He said, Broadway Park. And immediately I'm brought back to that dude that was gripping my hand, right? And I'm like, oh, shoot. Because <laughs> I'm a Christian now, Jennifer, and that's how I talk. So... <laughs> I'm thinking this dude's going to wipe me all over the cafe, right? So I started apologizing to him again. Dude, I am so sorry for those things that I did. He was almost offended. He was leaning away from me. He's like, it's all good. God's made it good. 
I said, can we do this mentor-mentee thing? He said, I think God wants us to. I said, can we pray together? Because this is, this is hard. He said, let's pray. So we prayed that God would bless our friendship. He'd bless our relationship. And a week later, we needed an employee and Jamel needed a job. So Jamel started working with us. And every day I was like, dude, you work so hard. Thank you so much for making everybody's job easier. By the way, do you want to punch me? Because like in the back of my mind, I knew I deserved it, but I didn't want to be like serving up a latte and I get it in the side of the head, right? Like I just want to know it's coming, right? So we've learned some stuff about reconciliation as we've started traveling together in the last three years. And as the band comes forward, we want to we share with you three parts to reconciliation. Three parts to reconciliation. One, there's the apology. To be reconciled with somebody. This could be a community. This could be a police department talking to a community. This could be an individual talking to their family. Whatever that looks like, it takes an apology to bring reconciliation. I needed to apologize to this man because I had wronged him. Now, I apologized to him the day in the park, and I didn't feel like he accepted it, but that's not my part. My part was the apology, and maybe you've wronged somebody, and you know today's the day you need to, you need to tell them I'm sorry. Regardless of if they're going to talk slick to you or not, your job is to say I'm sorry. And now Jamel, he understood that for reconciliation, he needed to forgive me. Regardless if I said I'm sorry or not, he knew that if he didn't forgive, it was eating him alive. Hurt people hurt people, right? He's drinking poison, hoping it's hurting me while he's in prison, beating people up, envisioning it's me, and I'm sleeping good at night. If you're holding on to that stuff because those people have been hurting you or they have hurt you and you're not letting it go, you're hurting somebody else, guaranteed. But you can have an apology without forgiveness. You can have forgiveness without somebody saying, I'm sorry. But reconciliation comes when you bring the two together and say, what now? What now? What do we do now? How do we step into each other's worlds now? And we understand we stand for something a little bigger than ourselves up here. You're, you're looking at a black man who was completely innocent, 100% innocent, convicted and sent to prison for 10 years. And you see a slightly lighter black man who's been through some things too. <laughs> There's some white audiences you say that with and they're like. <laughs> Can we laugh at that or will Jamel get mad? I'm not black. My mom says we're Irish, but that's because she likes to drink and fight, so I'm not sure. <laughs> but what does it look like to go back to your community and seek out somebody that didn't grow up like you and say, let's start working on this reconciliation together. That's what it's going to take. Mm -hmm. So we're going to pray. We're going to step out of the way. We do have a book. We, we wrote it together with the help of uh, Yabi's dad. Uh, it's called oh. Convicted. We've got uh, some copies out. As you're leaving, we got a little table set up, so we hope that you come out and see us. So actually, Daniel, I'm going to pass it off to you to close out, and we're going to sneak off there. Thank you guys Thank so you much. Guys. Earlier on Monday and then this morning, you heard a passage from John 15. Uh, the last two verses say this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Would you stand with me as we pray and receive the benediction? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for these two men and the story that they have. The ability to learn from them the image that they are, of what reconciliation truly looks like, that they are living the life that you lived, that they are sacrificing their ego, their agenda for the sake of the other, Lord. 
I pray that we do the same, that we allow ourselves to be interrupted by your leading, by your prompting, and that we humbly go wherever it is that you call us to go, and that we do exactly as you request of us, as you command of us to love each other. We love you so very much, Lord, and it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. You are sent out.